Hello and welcome to the Top Pod, a podcast to support itinerant teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, SLPs, and other deaf education professionals. I'm Deanna Barlow from Listening Fun, and today we're talking with Stephanie Kesson about the secrets to success as an itinerant. Thanks so much for being here, Stephanie. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself and your background? Absolutely. So my name is Stephanie, and by trade, I am a teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing. I've been in the field for a long time now, more than 25 years. I was trained to be able to teach at a residential school. So Mm -hmm. bilingual, bicultural was kind of my first love. That was my primary philosophy graduating from college. I went to school at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And at that time, while they had a very strong emphasis on the bye-bye philosophy, they also gave us a, a big push to be able to experience working with kids with auditory oral background and also C2, signed exact English 2 experience. So even graduating from college, I had a number of of experiences in my back pocket. But when I graduated, I taught in a self-contained classroom. And then I always like to say I kind of evolved to the itinerant model, kicking and screaming. (laughs) That I had a strong philosophy about. I didn't really believe in it, but that was what the trend was. And that's where they needed me. And so that's where I went. Of course, there was no real manual on how to do that. So I just sort of was taking what I knew about the need of deaf students and implementing that through the itinerant model. I uh, took a few years off from teaching. I became a sign language community interpreter. I worked really closely with families. Um, So I've got a lot of that on my resume in terms of experience. About halfway through my career, I became the education specialist for DHH students through the state of Wisconsin. And I worked at a statewide level through our outreach program. And with that position, my role was to go in and support other teachers and help them kind of identify the needs of their students and be able to support those needs. And of course, most of those teachers at that time were itinerant. And so I had the opportunity to kind of get this bird's eye level of what was happening for itinerant teachers across the state of Wisconsin, what their challenges were. And I was really blessed to be able to be trained by, in my opinion, some of our just great mentors in the field. So I had, you know, special training with Karen Anderson and Kristen DePerry and just some really great pioneers in our field that were really kind of blazing the trail for us. And I was able to take that training and then bring it to the teachers and then support them, which was really a really great learning experience for me to be able to have this in my backpack. My own children entered the school system. And when that happened, I couldn't travel anymore for my work. So I went back to teaching as an itinerant teacher and was able to bring all of those tools that I'd gathered all of those years as the education specialist. And then I was able to to apply them myself as an itinerant teacher. But then what I ended up realizing is that the the challenges and the things that people were experiencing in Wisconsin was not isolated to Wisconsin. And I had all of these tools now in my toolbox and I had all of this knowledge. And I realized that the best way for me to be able to impact students was to be able to better empower the teachers that worked with them and their parents. And so that's when I established the online itinerant with the goal of being able 
able to provide all the things that I had realized that I needed in my toolbox and be able to provide that for other professionals and other teachers along the way. So that's how I got to where I am now. That's just a little bit about my background. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize you had so much experience in so many different settings. And like, Mm. it's so neat that you're able to take like that consultative work you did like for the state and apply it to like an online platform like the online itinerant because I feel like that's just so valuable. Not everybody has like a consultant like that in their state who can like come in and coach. So it's so cool that you were able to translate that so seamlessly yeah. into like an online platform so that itinerants who need support like have a place to find it because I mean wasn't really much else there was a few things but not that much <laughs> in well, terms of support if you needed it as an itinerant. Exactly. And that was one of the roadblocks that I came in, uh, came into as the uh, education specialist for the state is that we would, we would come in, we'd spend a huge amount of time with the student then and then with the teacher. And then we'd give recommendations and we would give them a piece of paper and we'd say, okay, good luck. But then we had to leave and it was up to the teacher to be able to implement these recommendations. And they could call us if they had questions. But our services and support was a little bit cut off after that. And what I realized is that people needed, they not only needed the next step, but now they needed the support for the step after that and the step after that. Or suddenly there was this new challenge, this new barrier, and they couldn't really actually make the step that they were trying to do. And, you know, itinerants, we all need this ongoing support. We need this community. We need these resources all the time. And that's one thing that there there's just not a lot of access to. So when I created the online itinerant, I had that really firmly in mind to be able yeah. to provide people. Absolutely. Especially because you think you have it under control and then you get a student totally out of left field that has nothing to do with any of the other students you've been working with. And you only, I felt this way, I only had experience with the students that I have had experience with, but I have like these random gaps where I just like never had a student who fit that mold. And I'm like, I had nothing to pull from. So it was like, I'm lucky that I worked in a place where I had, um, I had mentors available to me, but I relied on them a lot. So it's so nice that there's more resources out there now for people, including this. So we're going to get into some of those like things to leave, you know, help people get organized and just like set them up for success sort of thing. So we're going to go over a couple different things, starting with like scheduling, organization, all that sort of thing, especially for like a larger caseload. Like do you have any tips for being successful for those people that have those big caseloads that are a lot of like consultative hours or like far away, all that like big stuff? Yeah. And that we're seeing this more and more because there's such a shortage in the field. So our, you know, our teachers are, the caseload is getting bigger, the drive is getting further, and now there's less time in front of the computer to actually be able to catch up on IEPs or emails or anything like that, which just makes us all spread so much more thin. You know, in terms of, of scheduling, there are a couple of things that I feel is is really, really helpful. And, you know, I I do sometimes have people say to me, like, literally, I've got a caseload, you know, we're down two teachers, and I'm now doing the job of three teachers, I've got a caseload of 80 students, what do I do? You know, and I mean, and realistically, you are only one person. I mean, we can't magically clone you. Um, And there are some times where where you're just you're just really putting the pieces together the best that you can. Mm-hmm. But when you have a caseload, I really personally love the 3 in 1 model, which is the for every fourth session that you have with the student, their observation minutes. 
Mm-hmm. So this gives you a little bit of flexibility that you can take these observation minutes and you can manipulate them to maybe it's before a session the one of the other sessions that you have with a student or maybe it's after a session that you have with a student or if you didn't get to see them one day um, or you come in and like this week suddenly we've got all kinds of different holiday events and you don't want to pull them from the Christmas party because nobody told you that it was a party but sure. now you can use your minutes observation minutes gives you a lot more wiggle room inside of your minutes. SLPs have been using this this for years. Yeah. And I feel like it's been, it's really helpful. And it also has a lot of impact on how well you can um, support your student. Mm-hmm. We had in New Jersey, I don't, I guess it's different everywhere, but like um, I'm able to write my service as um, flexible push in, pull out, even though I pull out a lot of the time. It's like if I need to push in, like because it's a Christmas party or because I want to observe the student for any reason, really, I'm allowed to. So, mm-hmm. like you know, it just gives you that little bit of flexibility. Or even if you just want to push in for 15 minutes because, like, they're doing something worth being there for. Like, you don't feel like, oh, I have to take them from – because I'm, I'm only here this day. And, like, just having – I like the three the, – the, you know – three direct one consultative if you have to write it like that but if you're able to even write it like just flexible sometimes that's even better because then you could just do whatever you need to do to support that student because it's very um give and take (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and to be able to write your minutes like sometimes it's sometimes people write them so many minutes per week if you can write the minutes per month then that gives you a little bit of flexibility as well because it always happens that students Something comes up where they're not in school and suddenly you've driven there and and whatever is happening is happening and you can't see them. Uh, now, I keep my calendar and everything. I keep it on a – I am a Google girl, so I use like Google Calendar. Me too. And I love this because I can very easily – I just set up – I set up my calendar as an event and if I if something is happening that I need to ch- change, I set my I set my schedule that I can that it repeats every you know whatever the scheduling is. If it's once a week or if it's every five days, you know schools have crazy rotation schedules. So <sighs> you can set it up right. That I I know. That's <laughs> where <laughs> it gets crazy. Like you've got one student that's on an A B schedule, but then you have another student that's on a one through five schedule, and you're like, you can only see the student on A days, and and you want to see them on the same day because they're in districts next to each other. And how do you make that work? When you do it in a Google Calendar, then you can manipulate the days really easy and adjust the the schedule really easily without having to, you know, if you're an itinerant teacher and you're still using a paper calendar, I don't know how you are surviving. I don't know how you are surviving. I definitely want to go digital for that. For those kids that a lot of times I would see them at different times because I wanted to see them in different classes because I would observe a lot of times that they're in high school, a lot of times I'm doing more observing and things and I want to go to different classes so I can't even do a recurring event because it's like different so I would just have it recur like whatever like on a random time but I would make it yellow yellow is my like pending color so anything that's like um pending is yellow everything else is blue I don't do like different districts different colors or anything I keep it like everyone's blue except if it's pending then it's yellow so then when I look at my calendar if I something is yellow then I know I have to confirm or I have to move it or I have to like there's some things that there's a step that needs to be done before I show up at that building because it's not it's not like finalized yet and that helped me so much because then I didn't have like it was recurring on my calendar but 
I knew I had to move it or I had to to fit it in, you know, and like I just did at the beginning of the month, I went and looked at the weeks of the month and like fit in everything for the next four weeks or whatever. But like for me, that really helped because I wasn't creating the new event, but I wasn't stuck with it in that reoccurring slot if it wasn't like a reoccurring slot type of kid, which drove me crazy. But for me, keeping things or if like I had to change something, I'll make it yellow. And that's my reminder. I have to email the case manager or whatever. So that's like I know people do all sorts of crazy color coding. But for me, like whatever is the simplest Mm -hmm. is the easiest. So like everything's blue, except if it's a meeting, then it's green. Or if it's pending, then it's yellow. And that's it. Me too. Me too. And I set up an email re- if it's a meeting, if it's an IEP meeting or something like that, I make sure to set up an I, uh, a meeting reminder for myself like a week in advance, five days in advance. And so I make sure that I've got my paperwork and everything ready and complete ahead of time and have that. So I love that idea of keeping it, yeah. putting the pending stuff as yellow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I do something very similar. I do that as well. Mm. Let's see. The other oh, the other scheduling thing that's that's that I am starting to come into quite a bit is the hybrid model of service delivery and for you know, for kids that like really hard to see or my high school students that maybe their schedule is just crazy or maybe they are they're not comfortable. They don't want me to pull them out of class or anything like that. Being able to come see them but then setting up a hybrid session for them um, has also been really really helpful cuz it's kept me from having to drive for some for some students. So that has been a big game changer for me. And yeah. a, another thing I've been very slow stepping into, kind of like the itinerant model. I was like, "No, this will never work." But then I'm like, "Oh, for some kids, actually, this might not be so bad. Maybe I need to figure this out. So I've been um, working on that as well. Interesting. I never thought of doing it in a hybrid way, but I could definitely see how that could work. I just I did an episode with uh, Tiran and she talked all about like remote teaching and for some of the kids that it really worked for. And I could see it working for some of those high school kids who can yeah. would kind of prefer to Zoom with you. <laughs> and you could yeah. probably get a lot more done in a quiet environment on a nice Zoom as opposed to like trying to work in the library or whatever. Well, and for our high school students, it's a great transition skill because it's kind of likely that they're going to be having some online classes if they're going to school, they're going to college afterwards. Um, More and more colleges are having online labs, online courses, online meetings with with their other with the other students. So it's actually a great transition opportunity, teaching them how to implement captioning online and anything AI and get an interpreter and getting Sorensen set up and getting everything set up. So it, it actually allows us to do a lot that we wouldn't be able to necessarily do face-to-face. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. All right. So moving on from scheduling, let's talk a little bit more about like organizing like materials, organizing your notes, just like keeping track of all of the info that needs to be kept track of for an itinerant teacher. I'm a Google Keep girl myself. That's like what I use, but I love hearing what other people do because I feel like like that works for my brain, but like there's so many other systems and I just like to hear what people do. Yeah. Yeah. I have a training. It's one of the most popular trainings on the online itinerant and it's called Taming the Itinerant Beast. And it's like as an itinerant teacher, now I am naturally not the most organized person. And so that was my biggest challenge stepping into an itinerant role was having all my materials with me when I needed them and being able to find them easily and getting organized in that way and doing that for a huge caseload of kids that had 
such a variety of needs and, and getting myself organized and knowing where everything was. So I do this training called Taming the Itinerant Beast, which is really kind of some secret hack that have been my survival uh, that has helped been key to my survival in terms of of all of that. And again, I use Google, but I actually do do a lot through my Google Calendar. So when I've got my students scheduled on my Google Calendar, I have the direct link to their IEP. I've got their audiogram actually linked to their time in my schedule. I have my IEP goals listed atop of this event. And then I even have, I call them NTKs, my, my need to knows. So for example, when is their IEP due? How many minutes, when do I see them? Is it once a month or is it twice a month? Do they have a unilateral loss? And if so, which side of the ear is it on? You know, like what, what classroom am I pulling them from? If it's a high school, I always forget like, you know, where am I, where am I finding them right now? Or I'll link their schedule. So I actually link all of that and even my lesson plans and where I left off. I actually link all of that inside of my Google Calendar event. So then when I'm getting ready to see my student, I can go directly there and click on it. And the nice thing about that, of course, is through now all of my schools allow me to use Google. I think Outlook has a similar a cloud, a similar system that you can do. And then I can make lesson plans accessible for other people to see or not. Yeah. I can make my data collection accessible for other people to see or not. You know, so so that's been a huge game changer for me, just being able to stick it right in my calendar events. Mm-hmm. So are the files housed in the like Google Drive and you're linking from there? Yes. Got yeah. it. Yeah, or, that's really cool. Yeah, or they're yeah, typically typically housed in the Google Drive. So then what's really nice is then I can also access it from my phone because I'll be at a red light and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm headed to go see Johnny. What were we gonna, you know, I looked at this already, but now I've already forgotten what what are we working on today? And then I can go straight to my phone and I can access it, you know, from from my phone. And I put all my data collection, I put everything, I put everything on there that has to do with my students. So then I can access it anytime, anywhere. Yeah, that's that's such a good idea. I feel like that's really helpful to have it. Like that's kind of what you need is you just need to find a way to have it available on your phone in like two touches. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's great to have it in your Google Drive, which is like where I keep a lot of information, but it's like a lot of clicking to get to that information like because I have so many folders and so many kids and it's just like I really need just like an at a glance system so that's why I feel like the calendar works really good Google Keep works really good just like the notes app I used for a long time before I discovered Google Keep but like it's just so nice to have like a like a two-touch system where it's like I click my phone I click the app I see the information and that's like it like kind of faster like that. I also always write down for we have case managers. So like I always write down the case manager's name and email because I always forget like I have to email them something. And I'm just like I'm looking in my email and I'm like, what is their name? So I could start typing it in so that way the rest of their email pops up. And I just like can't remember everybody's case. I only meet them one time usually at the beginning of the year. Um, <laughs> so just like having their name readily available is like exactly. So helpful. That's one of my like need to knows. (laughs) Yes. I'll put the case manager name and email. And the other thing I always put in my, in my event is the kid's birthday. 
Yeah. Because so many of my students, A, they don't even know when their birthday is. Like they oh. just know they they have no idea when it is, or they know the month but not the day. Or and and I'll have kids that'll be like, My birthday's coming, my birthday's coming. And I'll be like, Really? When is it? And I'll look and it'll be like six months from now. They <laughs> You know, they, they don't have that time concept, but you know, I, it never fails. I will run into, I'll be walking down the hallway on my way to the next school and I'll run into somebody who's got a question and they've got a question about the student's hearing loss, or they've got a question about the IEP due date or minutes or something like that. And it's just really convenient to be able to, to be able to say, oh yeah, let me take a look at this and be able to, you know, access it easily and have it right there. Yeah. I have one little like note too of just like the list of everyone on my caseload because like sometimes people like it's just nice to be able to like look at it all like even if it's just like a list and I just have to like scroll through it for a second sometimes it's just helpful just to like have like a bird's level bird's eye view bird's level view (laughs) of all the information but okay great any other like organizing like materials or anything like that because I have I don't know you don't want to look at my desktop right now I've talked about this before like I feel like I like I sometimes I feel like I'm succeeding in one area and not succeeding in another like I'm doing great teaching but my desktop's a mess or like I have like a great idea but like my bag is a mess like it's just like can only do so much. So I'm always looking for tips on how to keep my actual materials organized because like I said, I try to keep it simple, but I find it difficult to stay consistent mm-hmm. with or keeping my things organized. And luckily, because I make a lot of my own materials, I in my head know what I have because I made it, but it still would be easier if I knew where it was. Yeah. You've got great materials, by the way. I just love them. I love what you, you offer and what you produce. They're just fantastic, re- fantastic resources. Well, and of course, when I, I, when I created the online itinerant, I created created it with that thought in mind of like, okay, because again, that's my problem. Like knowing where I, what I have and where it is and how to access it and where I stored it. And so I created the teaching toolbox as part of the professional and friend Academy so that everything is right there and easily accessible to be able just to go in and find it and save it. You can star it as your favorites. And then of course, if I'm working on it with a student, then I can link that exact lesson plan inside my Google Calendar. So I just have all of my lesson plans in there as well. But that's been helpful to keep me organized. But here's another thing that's been, you know, I used to load my trunk. I used to load my trunk like at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the week with all the games and materials that I needed. And and then I would get so frustrated because I would get to the school that I was working at. And either I would walk into the building and I would forget the materials that I had thought so hardly and organized so much to put in my trunk, or I will have actually not packed that game for that day or that material for that day. And I just was constantly like, shoot, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not keeping up. It's just, it's a very frustrating feeling to feel like you are not keeping up with your own goals and with your own intentions. And I actually have stopped packing games into my trunk and trying to take them. And the reason is I have become best friends with the SLPs at my school districts mm-hmm. and they have all the same games or or they have different games that meet the same language goals or whatever. And so I have I have built this great relationship with them that I can say, "Hey, you know, can I sneak into your game closet for the day?" And instead of me and every one of them is just wonderful. Sure, absolutely. You know, and and maybe I'm blessed in that, but it saves me from having to think ahead, fill my trunk, haul stuff, lug stuff in, lug stuff out. So being able to find the people in your building that have similar resources and tools 
that you can just connect with them instead of you having to load it and bring it every single time. Yeah, that's one of the things I do when I have I a lot of times have a lot of preschoolers on my caseload and I bring stuff because I want it to be fun. But like I will borrow heavily from the classroom because I just like don't have like I don't have if I had just preschoolers, maybe that'd be different. But I can't I can't just think about the five preschoolers. I have to think about all the other kids, too. So I borrow heavily books toys i mean it's nice because you can like preview stuff with them too so there is like a functional component to it mm-hmm. as well but i do i should probably borrow from the slps more because i do talk to them all the time they're super helpful they're super nice i'm sure they wouldn't mind at all but that would be another one to like use as a resource when you're there i try lately i've been trying to like i like put a bunch of different things in my car but not something in mind for any particular student and then like i'll just like swap it out with different stuff so it's like i just have i just leave different stuff in the car so that way i can like look at it think about it while i'm there and then just like pick one or two things that works until i forget to take stuff out of the car and then it (laughs) which is i think where i'm at right now because you could tell it's like almost christmas because it's like i'm like piling you know (laughs) so i definitely feel like that's an area i could improve in but (laughs) (laughs) well you know we just get we get to start feeling like we're gypsies and like we're living out of our car and like Mm -hmm. everything you know we can't put anything else you know oh sorry we have to go on vacation i've got to empty out my entire (laughs) trunk of games and toys so that we can put our own luggage into our own car like sorry about that you know i just i just feel like that's hard to live out of your car. We we don't want that. We want to live out of our home. You know, we want to be able to have our tools and resources accessible to us. Where in every school should be a, our classroom community. And pulling from the SLPs or from the classroom is great because mm-hmm. the other thing that we're doing with that is is those are probably materials that the child may be using in those other places in the classroom. So I love to pull from the preschool, like the food, the food that they're using or whatever bins they have to be able to provide that activity so that they can then go back in with the kids and use that in their own, you know, in their own classroom. So yeah, if I had somebody say, can I look inside your trunk? Can I look inside your teaching bag right now? And I was like, I don't have anything in there right now. It's all on my computer or else at a school that I'm at right now. I use everything as, you know, those two places. And I no longer live out of my car, which is a great feeling. Yeah. You couldn't pay me money to show you my car right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's empty. Not not right now it's not, but, you know, but – Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> did you have any other like tips, secrets, things that you like to tell people that help them just overall be successful as an itinerant teacher because it's so different from regular teaching? Yeah, it is. Well, for one, I like to say just give yourself grace because especially if you uh, you know are are working with a student that's it's just really. We are asked to, sometimes we're asked to perform miracles, right? We're asked to work with really challenging students. Like, for example, um, I was just chatting with somebody today who has a 14-year-old student who moved in from Mexico who has no Spanish and no English. And now they're in, you know, the middle school classes and they're asked to work with them for 45 minutes a week. That's it to be able to make this child fluent in English. And this child does has zero language. Yeah. And, you know, I've been in that exact situation before. <laughs> 
Yes, we all have. And, you know, I want to tell teachers, I want to say, you know, we can't perform miracles. Like we can only do what we are given the opportunity to do. And so give yourself grace and be willing to have the conversation with the administration to say, okay, can I meet with you about this? Because this is really a you know, a difficult situation and and to be able to open up those lines of communication. I think so often we're afraid to talk to parents and we're afraid to talk to administration. We don't want to say the wrong things. We don't want to say something that would be, we don't want to ask for parents. We don't want to ask questions. That's too personal. Mm-hmm. For administration, we don't want to look like we're challenging their authority, you know, or, or anything like that. But more often than not, I think when we you know, ask people just to come to the table with us so that we can brainstorm ideas around the challenging situation that we have, because we all want what's best for that child. I think people in general are willing to come to the table to have the conversation. So that's one of my tips, like just, you know, ask to have the conversation. And more likely than not, people will be willing to have it. And don't expect yourself to be able to perform miracles. You know, you can't make a child fluent in English in 45 minutes a week. You can't make any child fluent in English in 45 minutes a week, (laughs) you know, let alone a 14-year-old who has extreme language deprivation because they haven't had any access to language for all this time. Yeah, that's really good advice to just like keep in the back of your mind and remember because I know I feel that way sometimes. Like I just think about certain kids, like they keep me up at night. But you have to remember that we just do the best with what we have, you know, reach out to people who can help if they can. And then that's, that's really all you can do at the end of the day. But I have got a little story for you about that. Sure. I had an aha moment a number of years ago. I was young in my teaching career and I was working, I was teaching preschool and we had this little girl come in. She was three years old And she had just been diagnosed with a severe hearing loss. So she'd had her first three years with no hearing aids. And so she came in at three and and she didn't have, she didn't have any language. And we didn't really know what the background or anything was, except for we had just learned that her dad had died of cancer. And her mom came in and and her mom, we were, you know, initially her mom, Her mom was really struggling with the diagnosis of hearing loss. She had said, well, I think prior to the official diagnosis, she said, well, I think she might not be able to hear, but not so bad that she has to wear those things from her ears. I I would be devastated if she ever had to wear those things in her ears, you know? And so here she comes, she gets diagnosed with this significant hearing loss. And this little girl, she wasn't potty trained yet, but she was wearing diapers. She'd go into the bathroom. She'd take her diaper off. She'd throw it under the bathroom stall, have somebody (laughs) else hand her a diaper, and she would put her own diaper on. Oh my gosh. She wasn't potty trained, right? Well, we had so many things we wanted to ask this mom. We wanted to know, like, you know, like what happened to her dad? Like, mm-hmm. and what's happening with potty training? And, you know, what's, but we were so afraid to ask the questions because it just seemed so sensitive, so sensitive because it was such a, such a hard conversation. Okay. Fast forward 13 years later, I was then teaching high school and she was my student again. Oh my gosh. And actually, I take it back. I became the outreach specialist. I was the education specialist and I was called in to work with her on a case. So so she was in high school and I called the mom to have a parent interview. And I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was her first teacher, her very first teacher. And her mom said, oh, how I wish you would have asked me those hard questions. Everybody tiptoed around me. I was in such denial. I was a super young mom. I was doing it by myself. 
And nobody could tell me what I needed to know. I was so scared. And I thought, shoot, you know, I was afraid to ask those questions. And yet she really needed somebody to walk alongside of her and help her along that way. So that for me was an aha moment. I looked back at me as a young teacher of how afraid I was to just walk alongside that mom. Yeah. And now I really pour into parents and I really try really hard to walk alongside of them. At the time, I was very critical of her. I thought, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I thought, what kind of mother is she, right? She hasn't given this girl hearing aids. She hasn't even potty trained her yet. Like, here she is. She's three. Like, come on, mom, right? I was kind of thinking that. And then when I realized this mom, I think she was 23. So she was super young with a three-year-old child, and she was a widow at 23. You know, so anyway, the lesson is to have the conversation, to be willing to to kind of just open that up and, and talk to our parents and talk to our administration. Yeah, and that definitely, I think, gets easier the more you do it because mm-hmm. I remember the first time a parent cried in front of me about something and I was like a deer in the headlights. I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how, I don't don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. Like, please stop crying. Like, (laughs) um, but I, um, you know, like you, you figure it out, you learn. I've found it very helpful. I mean, obviously I did my, my LISL certification so that I could, you know, be an, uh, more knowledgeable in that area, but a big part of that was parent coaching. So even just like with all parents, even kids who aren't auditory oral, I just got so much better at like talking to other adults, like talking to parents in like a very coachable and like empathetic way. So that way, you know, it it helps you recenter things. So that way I wasn't jumping to automatic judgments or like trying to fix problems that didn't need fixing and just offering like support when they needed support and strategies when they needed strategies and just like kind of figuring that out. But that definitely took time at the beginning. I was just like, like, oh my God, why are you crying? Please stop crying. Um, But (laughs) it got, it got better as I feel like I practiced it and as I like purposely looked into help with dealing with that. I do a lot of early intervention on my caseload, so I deal with parents very closely compared to a lot of people. So I feel like I had like a little crash course in it. Um, and now I feel totally fine <laughs> talking to parents about anything because when you're in their house, they share all sorts of information with you. They will. Um, yeah. So it definitely is something that I feel more comfortable doing now. But it's also nice that like, you know, when we have these communities for teachers of the deaf, that if you run into a situation like that, like where like there's so much going on and you want to be respectful and you want to be sensitive, like maybe bouncing some ideas off someone else before you dive in, like could be super helpful. So that way you don't feel bad for stepping on their toes, but you're there to offer the support that they need. I see posts like this all the time in like my Facebook group or your Facebook group, like of people being like posting anonymous. Like I have this situation. How would you deal with that? And like yes. people have some really nice insightful comments. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. Being able to connect with other people and see what other people have done or how they would approach it. We just did a power hour today with the online itinerant. And that, that's that discussion, you know, that's the other tip to success for itinerants is have other people have that community that you can bounce things off of. If you have to post it on a Facebook post, just kind of get that insight, get that experience from from other people. It's so valuable. So speaking of, can you share um, a little bit about the online itinerant, what y'all are working on right now, like where you can find you, all that good info? Awesome. So yeah, so go to www.theonlineitinerant.com and you'll see what all is going on. So inside our our most popular offering that we have is the Professional Academy. 
inside the professional academy, we've got over 40 different on-demand trainings for people. One of the things that you mentioned is, you know, as as a especially as an itinerant teacher of the deaf, you know what you've experienced, but it never fails. You have something new pop up for you and all of a sudden you're supposed to be working with this kid. And our plates are so full, we can only we only have the capacity to get the information that we need at the moment. So this was always something that happened to me. Like I would have a there would be a training on like let's say uh, working with deaf and autistic kids. And I would say, yeah, but I don't have any autistic, deaf and autistic kids right now. So that training is not going to benefit me right now. And then a month later, I would get a deaf autistic kid and I'd be like, shoot, now I need the training. Where did the training go? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, I need it. So the online itinerant offers over 40 hours of on-demand trainings that you can access when you need it and when you've got access to it. And we have it on an app, which is nice because everything is broken into 15-minute increments. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can literally listen to a training while you're headed to that school to work with a student. So we've got those trainings. We've got the toolbox that I mentioned that has bazillion uh, assessments and handouts and activities and everything specific towards meeting the needs of our kids and our IEP goals. We have power hours. So that's the opportunity to come together and have these conversations. And then we have a whole parent program. And if you're a member of the professional academy, then you get your parents in for free. And then they get all of those things. So they get somebody, just like what we're talking about, walking alongside of them, supporting them along their journey. And I do the work for you instead of you doing it. I know your plate. I know our teachers, our plates are so full. We just don't have the capacity to do it. So I support you in that. And that's in the professional academy. Then we've got the friend academy, which is that parent program. And then we've got all all of those things. You can just get one training at a time. We had an awesome training last night about uh, progress monitoring using Avenue PM. Um, Mm. That was with Sue Rose from University of Minnesota. She's phenomenal. So anyway, that's the online itinerant. We've got opportunities to bring people together. So they've got community. They get the trainings that they need on demand. They've got the teaching tools and resources. And they've got the opportunity to connect with others. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all about that. I will link to the online itinerant. I'll link to any other links you give me, Stephanie, so that way people can find it nice and easy in the show notes. All these links, show notes, transcript, all that will be at listentotodpod.com. And I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. Bye.